Hey guys, listen, before the podcast starts, look, I'm going to play 30 seconds of this song, God in Chicago, right now by Craig Finn, today's guest. Her mom found her brother, then she found the container wrapped up in a newspaper, stuffed in a duffel bag with hockey pads and seven grand in rubber bands. We didn't speak at the service, but then later a message from a number that wasn't familiar said, hey, it's Charlie's sister. Would you do me a favor? There's unfinished business. It's roughly the size of a baseball. I said I wasn't totally sure, but yeah, I could probably call someone. I knew this kid from my dorm when I went to school in Wisconsin. My All right, now go and listen to that song because we end up talking about it a lot. And I don't want you to, I don't want to be talked out for you before you heard it. Like, listen to the song and then come back to the podcast. You just don't flip over on your iPhone. Like, it's right there on Spotify or on um, iTunes. And so listen to that God in Chicago. Click the little thing to download Craig's album so that he gets maximum money from it. It's still free for you. And, uh, and then come back to the podcast with Craig Finn. Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. This is super fun for me. Um, hey, before I start, I just want to say the feedback I got on that Q&A episode was amazing. And um, I so appreciate the fact that it hit you guys where it did. And uh, I love getting letters and notes about it. But okay, today's podcast. Craig, I was thinking about this. And I've probably had five favorite bands in my life. And you're the leader of one of those five favorite bands. Uh, this is Craig Finn, lead singer, uh, co-chief songwriter for the hold steady and uh a guy who's made one of my favorite albums of the last few years is a solo album which is called uh, we all want the same things so craig finn thanks for being here thanks for having me you were on the podcast in the very very early days with your hold steady partner tad mm -hmm. and i'm glad we're gonna have the opportunity to just talk the two of us about what you're doing now and about how you think about um the world you're writing about right here, here's where, and we'll get to biographical stuff and we'll get to process stuff, which I'm really interested in. But with you, I have to do a little bit of textural analysis. Right. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. sure. So um, what is it about the drug deal that you find so animating? Particularly like the drug deal gone slightly wrong. What does it say to you about America right now? And what is really being transacted there in your well, world? I, in some ways, the drug thing is manufacturing highs and lows. I mean, I think like, you know, uh, but- when I say manufacturing highs and lows, it's like if, you know, um, someone who's depressed might need, might be attracted to something, some sort of amphetamine that picks them up. Or someone who's high strung with a lot of anxiety might be attracted to something down that takes them out of their head. And so we have this, I mean, in one way is looking at this technology available uh, that we just kind of can't, we're rats that we kind of can't stop hitting the, hitting the button, you know, and uh, that's interesting. There's also this, this sort of underworld of, of something going on beneath the surface that, um, you know, I think uh, you tap into, uh, people, people tap into that world um, when, when they start pursuing uh, narcotics or, or drugs of any sort. And that is interesting because there's a below-the-surface world that isn't e right visible. So both those things are kind of interesting for me to talk about. Uh, and, and, and there's, a, there's a, also this, I don't know, I don't know, there's sometimes like, like um, a camaraderie or a, or a honor among thieves or something that happens in a drug deal. That uh, is also interesting to me. Well, the honor among these drug deal is 
for sure in you know um chicago song but not a song by the band chicago (laughs) (laughs) your song but but you know you start the album by someone who bought something that was probably coriander and not not real drugs yeah and so there's i just want to go a little try again because what i'm what i'm interested in is these people meet up these kind of strangers and then something is transacted Mm -hmm. and then people go away with the results of that transaction and it feels like that moment is particularly charged for you because it surfaces in like half your songs yeah yeah yeah. well i think it's i mean it's it's part of the ritual right like and i think that that's you know i mean that the other half of my songs are these catholic rituals right of course yeah so you're going through these well i was going to talk to you about guilt in a second yeah rituals are are important in the way we kind of frame our our lives but i I, there's this build-up or the you know the the waiting for the man the lou reed kind of thing uh that's part and parcel of the whole deal and maybe i mean i think a lot of addicts would tell you that that's part of and one of the exciting parts of it you know? Okay, so but waiting for my man is about the desperate frustration of the power that the dealer has over the addict, mm-hmm. right? The result of putting faith in that change you're talking about in this person. But it seems to me that the evolution of that into the songs you write is slightly different because we sense that the dealer's hoping for some. <laughs> sort of a connection too. Yeah, well, it connects our people. I mean, you know, I mean, I remember one time when I was at, uh, in my twenties and I was living in Minneapolis and I was I was watching a World Cup game. I remember this very vividly. And this car pulled up right in front of my apartment. And there was all this yelling, and <laughs> there someone had OD'd in the car and they were pulling him out and they were trying to um, revive him. And it was a cornucopia of people. There, it was four people. They were all different races. They were all different ages. They were, you know, I was like, how are all these people hanging out? Like, they don't look like natural friends, but something had pulled them together. And uh, it was crazy. I called the cops, and then when the cops came, the three of them ran. Sure. And they revived the guy and and uh, and and put him in an ambulance. And they were talking so. about the unifying force of yeah, this thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's this 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 kind of thing that brings people together in a sense yeah because it also seems like you flip when the way you write about the underworld characters it seems you have a great empathy for them and in a way they're it's not just a demimon to you where you're writing about criminals it's it it seems to me that you are recognizing a kind of attempt at nobility and maybe people cut corners and in the end can't live up to it but yeah. it seems like you're trying. I mean, look, well, I'm 46, and uh, you know, we've all had people in our lives that have that have had uh, struggles, and and a lot of good people, you know. And you, and 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 it's easy to see, especially. And I think when I was in Lifter Puller, I wrote a lot of songs about these crazy people who are criminals and and partiers, you know. And I think now I'm more attracted to sort of like maybe a sadness or maybe a um inevitability or you know exploring like like the human side of or, of someone who just can't stop or 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 tries to or can stop for a while or and uh that's there's uh you know that's that's a very real thing and something that's kind of interesting yeah i was reading this um you ever read that hemingway collected interviews no i've never read that. Oh, i got to get it for you it's okay. the best it's the best but the, one of the interviewers, and he's because there's this great uh, George Plimpton interviewing him, I guess, when Plimpton was young ish. Mm-hmm. 
and Hemingway's just mocking the shit out of his questions, and it's great. But they ask, you know, I think it was Plimpton West, or it might have been Hockner who asked him, aka Hockner, why, uh, how he observes. And he said, look, when I was younger, I trained myself to observe, but now I'm just living my life. Right. And you draw these people so incredibly clearly. They're all, even a, a guy in one of your songs or a woman who has two lines, you, you have this crazy ability to make them a 360 degree person. And I'm wondering a little bit about how that happens, um, both in the recognizing these people and then in the, in the technically in the writing. How, how are you thinking about it? Are you just trying to solve a rhyme and it, and it just, you pull something or have you made notes and studies of people? Like, how does that work for you? I mean, it's, it, I wouldn't say that I've made studies in that, that I've got pages and pages about this character, but I've, I do have a pretty well defined version of who this person is. And it's usually, you know, a composite of people I know or, you know, people from stories mixed with, you know, a, a like a likely a believable person, someone that I can kind of believe exists, even though they might be, I might pull things from a few different places. So I think I know what they would say. And I try to like, just get real true to what I think they would say. And that, you know, you can play with the rhyme or maybe it doesn't rhyme, but I think that that's the number one thing. There's, cr those are the things like when I, when I hear other songs that sometimes make me cringe, like no one would say that, like they wouldn't say it like that, you know? And, and so I feel like that's the thing that I'm always kind of scratching out words for. You are trying to figure out how to make it feel yeah. legit. Yeah, I mean, it's probably, I'm, I imagine that's something like writing screenwriting and dialogue, you know? You spend a lot of time on that. Yeah. yeah. But, but sometimes I'll be at dinner and someone will say something and I will grab my phone and write it down. Yeah. And then I'll send it to myself so that I have it, so that it's there. And then it's weird, even just the act of writing it down makes me remember it later. Are you... If you're on a subway and you see something, does it just get cataloged and you don't even really think about it anymore? Or, or do you consciously catalog it? Both. I mean, I think as, as I get older, more <laughs> more likely I write it down because I'm like, well, I'm losing things. It's funny. When I was in Lynch Puller, I saw it. I don't know if it's even true, but someone told me or I read that Jay-Z doesn't write things down. And so I, I got... It's in his book that he I went it. through this phase that I don't didn't write lyrics down. And then even when I turned like 32, I was like, wait, I'm losing so much stuff, you know? Like, this is a, this is foolish. So now more than anything, I, I, I send myself emails. I use the, the note. Uh, I sort of use the notes on my iPhone, but if I really need to deal with it tomorrow morning, I'll send myself an email. Yeah, the note doesn't work the way it used to from somehow, I think. I, I, I now email it. Yeah, I email it myself. And then you'll just check at some point. You'll have like, oh, these are notes for songs. Yeah, because then, then you have a workflow, right? You, you, you open your email in the morning. You're like, oh, there's that idea. I'll get it in my notebook or I'll get it wherever, you know. I sort of write in notebook, transfer to the computer kind of style. And are you writing in a notebook uh, as soon as you start to have certain ideas that feel like they could be a song? Or are you just writing sketches? I'm writing sketches or lines. Uh, you know, I mean, if I'm writing a novel, or if I'm reading a novel, I'll like write down a line I like, and then think about why I like it and what you know, like what what it says or a word, and then uh, yeah, and then but more and more, I, I I you know I sit down to write a song. I say like you know, yeah. like right now I'm in a writing period. I'm I'm writing a lot this month, and you know, tomorrow at 10 a.m. I'm gonna write a song. And it's probably going to be made up of some of my notes um, in part from this weekend. 
because um, I have a very Monday to Friday kind of thing. And uh, and also it'll probably start with the first line of the song. I'll, I'll try to get a good first line. And, and then I'll you can roll. There. Yeah. All right. I was going to ask about process later, but I'll, I'll do it now. So you say I have a very Monday to Friday thing mm-hmm. going. So walk me through what a day looks like, a Monday to Friday day. And do you walk through the world thinking of yourself as a songwriter primarily? Yeah. Are you aware I'm a songwriter? I better, like, um, I'm listening and watching, <laughs> well, and that's who I am. Yeah, I got to work, you know, and also there needs to be songs if I'm a songwriter, right? You know, like... Uh, like, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a photographer cause I don't take any pictures, you know? Um, so, uh, I, I wake up, uh, probably around eight, uh, walk the dog, make coffee. Angie, my partner is a nurse. And so it kind of, uh, I work at home, so it kind of will, her schedule varies a little bit. So it'll kind of be like if she leaves at eight 45, um, you know, maybe nine o'clock I'll sit down and I try to get it. I try to get going in the morning. Uh, creativity is better for me in the, in the morning. Me too. Way better. Do you with, burning with coffee? Like, like, like second cup of coffee. And I'm, I'm like, you know, a couple, co- do you do any like meditating or journaling beforehand um, or you just go right into the thing? I do. It, it cha- I don't really do journaling. I do some meditation and stretching and, uh, you know, um, with the first cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, um, you know, but uh, I, I've, I've changed it at times. I used to meditate more. Uh, now I can kind of jump right in. And again, it's some. I mean, sometimes Angie works like at noon, so sometimes this all kind of gets pushed back because I, I, I don't like have a dedicated office or anything, so I have to kind of make use of the space. So in that case, I might go to the gym in the morning. But like early on the time when she leaves, I'll I'll get in on the. And you need to be alone. Yeah, I definitely need to be alone. All, has it always been the case? Mostly. I mean, I get stuff in the space. Like, you know, if I'm with the band and, like, they're playing, um, I can, I can you know, sort of mumble along and be like, oh, that would fit there. But um, I'll get more done if I'm alone. And when you say you start with a line, are you thinking about theme? Because all your albums, each album, each Hold Steady album, you know, I'm a lifter puller fan, but I'm not a lifter puller obsessive. Yeah, yeah. I became obsessive with the Hold Steady mm-hmm. and I've stayed that way. So I know it all super well from there. Uh, each album sort of does have a thematic unity. Not sort of. Each album has a thematic unity. So are you thinking about... I'll write some songs for... And I still sort of think of like I'm working on an album because I'm 46 and I grew up with albums. Yes. So, And I'll say like, all right, well, what are these songs? You know, But I'll write some songs and I'll sort of do that, you know, what Jody, Joan Didion said, we write to find out what we're thinking or whatever. I'll do that. I'll figure out like what is, what's what's you know, and some of it reveals itself to you. It's like wow, a lot of these songs are about people dying, you yeah, know, alienation songs, or estrangement yeah, yeah. or freedom, the, the joy of coming, yeah, you know, the yeah. possibility of unit, you know, unifying. Yeah, exactly, or, and and then I'll be like, that's I that's where my head's at. Obviously, let's let's go deeper, and you will. So that's the conscious. So the the writing is fascinating. I think really instructive too. You'll do a bunch of writing, yeah, where you're not coming from an intellectual place primarily. Right. You're, you're writing to recognize. But at a certain point, you will allow the analytical part of yourself to form it into something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then you'll write the rest of them just knowing that, right? And that just, just knowing it, I imagine... Yeah. guides it without you consciously rigidly guiding it yeah or what are the different angles on this like one big picture thing like what's another way of thinking about that what's a what's another take on it 
And do you usually know when you found like a centerpiece song, like when you found God in Chicago or when you found Sequestered in Memphis or Lord, I'm Discouraged? Like, do you, do you know, okay, I found the center of this thing? Yeah. And in some cases, yes. In some cases, no. I mean, stuck between stations, I remember being like, oh, there, that's it. You know, like, like that's, we got it. Um, we can, we can, it unfurls from there. Um, sequestered, I not, not maybe as much Lord, I'm discouraged. I sort of remember thinking of as the centerpiece of that record. Yeah. Um, God in Chicago on the new record is obviously the centerpiece of this record and arguably the centerpiece of your career. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know. it, and that one came, uh, late, uh, late in the process. And, uh, Josh Kaufman, who, um, uh, was the producer and uh, and and become a very important person. I brought it to him and and he, um, you know, I was like showing it to him and I kind of had it. I was kind of trying to force it into more of a traditional song structure, and he was like, "Back up, back up, wait, wait, wait." And actually, he wrote uh, the majority of the music for it. He kind of unstripped out the chords and was like, "What if we just kind of?" He went to the piano. Yeah. Did you write it on guitar? Uh, I had the notes on on guitar, but we've changed them, so it's it's almost hard to remember. But I had the the piece was pretty well written, you know. Um, and did you know you were going to sing that one part of it only, and that was going to be this kind of release? I think we talked about it and said, "Let's make." He said, "Let's do this again," you know. I mean, he's been very helpful to me, and 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 that was one that and that was kind of right before we went to record. So. Um, that one kind of came together so very quickly, like, you know, a week later, we recorded it. We recorded it the day Prince died or that it was announced Prince died. And uh, and uh, and I, I actually changed the line. It had been, you know, we, we did Let It Be into Led Zeppelin three, and I changed it to um, uh, uh, 1999. Um, and I... Yeah, it, it was it was a moment that that was a moment, you know, like it was a a moment when when the the, the chords ended and it was like, I think I think this is good. I like this, you know. Oh, uh, did you you recorded it along with him playing the? Well, we recorded. Uh, I mean, the music actually, and then you sang it. We, I, I did it live. I did it live. I did it live, and then I think I overdubbed it. Uh, like Bill, Bill O'Reilly style. Let's do it do, live. We'll uh, do it live. I try <laughs> to do everything live in case you get something, but I think probably we did. I. To at least did some overdubs where I did some mush mouth things, you know? And, and it's a staggering work, man. Uh, you know, I, I mean, Leonard Cohen died last year and Lou died a few years ago, which is still hard to understand and petty. So you've really bumped up a bunch of notches on best American <laughs> lyricist, living lyricist Thank you. to the very, you know, there's about four of you left now. Someone last night. Uh, yeah. Jason Isbell is definitely one of them too. Uh, which anyone who listens to this knows, I think Jason Isbell is really um, high up there. But there, you know, you and I have talked, you and I are friendly in real life and have talked about this ambition you also have to write stories. Mm -hmm. And listening to that song, it's so clearly an, a novel or a story or a movie. You know, I immediately thought to myself, well, someone should make a movie out of that story, mm -hmm. you know, a small movie out of it. How did you? How did you decide, fuck it, it's not a story, it's a song? And and <laughs> and how does that sort of like uh, land for you as someone who also has this other ambition? I mean, the ambition is be will be best realized to tell stories in other ways is to say, fuck it, it's not a song. 
Because, uh, I mean, that's what happens is, like, I think of stories and they become songs. So, you know, I do, I have said I've always liked to write a novel. I'd like to do other types of writing, storytelling. But, you know, m the thing I'm always fighting is that if I think of a story, next thing I know, it's a song. Yeah, because we had coffee a couple years ago and you were like, I'm going to send you a story in the next couple weeks yeah. and then no story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, it probably became a song. Um, and I, you know, I was talking to someone else and she was like, you know, they could be both. You could write, you could write the, the, the longer story of some of these songs. Well, and that song in particular, the way, I mean, Jester and June too. I mean, so many of the songs on the album, but, but in particular, God in Chicago, yeah. so much more, like even if you made the movie, you would still end it with them dancing in the streets and, you know, yeah. going home. Yeah. You, you, I don't think we want to see the, a week later. Yeah, he, you know, necessary in the movie, but but do you know it? So to write that particular song, how much did you have to know about each of those people? I and how did I, it come? To, can you like can you go granular a little bit on how that one came together for you? The first thing that came was you know as we seeing in the last two three years so much on the news and in the paper about the opiate crisis in America and I, I started to think about people dying you know you read all these articles the times it feels like every Sunday there's something you know and I just thought about these kids dying you know like you know young people in their young twenties and and the people left behind you know the and and so I just started and a lot of the times. If I'm starting to write a song, I'll, two people, you know, like, like, and, and often a boy and a girl, but not always, um, but two people. So it was like, did you have the sister right away? Well, I had the first line, her mom found her brother. So that was like, that's how the song started. Um, so there had to be a sister because her mom found her brother. Um, and then I was talking, you know, I, I really liked right away, you know, her mom found her brother. Um, and she found the container. Uh, wrapped up in a duffel bag with hockey, wrapped in newspaper in a duffel bag with hockey pads and seven grand in rubber bands. The hockey pads I right away loved because that put it into my, um, you know, my hometown kind of. All of a sudden it was, I, I, I could really see it. It was in the Twin Cities, you know, where people play hockey often. And um, and I could see, you know, hockey hockey pads they smell really bad. So, you know, that's something you might keep in a duffel bag in the garage. And, and it's the kind of thing your mom wouldn't necessarily want to get into. Um, uh, and et cetera. So, well, also it would make your mom too sad. I mean, also yeah. the whole thing at the end, you know. Um, but if you're hiding something. Yeah, sure. You'd hide it there. To hide yeah. Something. Um, but it also uh, speaks to hopes and dreams. Sure, sure. That didn't come true. And human. And just a human. Like this is a guy who, yeah, he may have been like. A, a drug guy or a drug dealer or both, um, but he also played hockey, you know? Um, and I, those are the details that I think are really important. And you had those when you were sitting at a guitar, you were writing those, or those were in your notebook as you were? Uh, I was kind of like, you know, sometimes the, when I'm sitting at the guitar, the chords are very, like what, what I can do often is get one thing, like almost like maybe like a hip hop thing, like a doom, doom, doom. Her mom found her, and then like I might not have the second or third. I might have to wedge that in there somewhere. But I can get a lot on just like one beat, one riff, and just start riffing, and then and then you know, you're going, and then the phrasing and whatnot. And as you're writing that, those lines, that opening verse, which, you know, every member of my family, I played that song, on a long car ride with each member of my mm -hmm. family separately. Like you got to hear this. We're going for a drive, and my daughter lost her mind, and then, and she's seventeen. Mm -hmm. 
And Amy, my wife, who's like, you know, also accessed from a different from the yeah. place of the mother. Yeah, right. You know, and for my daughter, it was from the place of being a brother, a sister. Sure. And this idea of salvation, brief salvation coming from connecting with somebody. Yeah. I mean, the other thing about that is, I mean, you know, just, just from my own experience, like, like Chicago is really far from the Twin Cities. You know, I mean, it's like it's the next big city, but it's like a seven hour drive. So, um, and I, and I remember like, uh, that the first time I ever went to Chicago, um, at least as a, with like my buddies, like we drove all day, you know, seven hours and we got there and, uh, we went to my friend's brother's had an apartment there and we got there and his brother was really drunk and, and just like out of nowhere threw a beer can at my head half full and it hit me and it like split open my, uh, my head. And, uh, yeah. And like, we'd been there for like four minutes. So then we had to like, like we cruised and, but you know, now we're in Chicago and we're like 18, 19 maybe. And, and, and you're in a big city and it's much bigger than the twin cities. Right. And it's harder, you know, I mean, and it's like, well, and that's all we... immediately clear to you. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just driving, right. Like just yeah. like just getting, taking your car into uh, you know, Chicago is a different transaction than taking it into Minneapolis, right? So all of a sudden, you know, so I was kind of, I, I was accessing like that, that grandness or the overwhelming of, of the different sizes and, and, and that this really was a journey for them. When you started writing that song, did, um, I mean, from the beginning, the Hold Steady had this sense Dad, it's worth having hope. And on your solo stuff, that's not, not every song has it, I think is a conscious choice. Mm -hmm. Particularly on the last, the album before this one, you were willing to paint the bleak world. <laughs> right, right. I, I think, think so. in certain well, moments. I mean, Newmeyer's Roof is probably the, was the single off that, which I think is a very hopeful song. Well, sure, because you met your, you met your girl yeah, yeah, through yeah. that. I get yeah. that. No, I get that. But, you know, or maybe it was the album before the hotel room. There's a lot yeah, of, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Clear Hearts, Full Eyes is definitely a bleak yeah. That's one. a bleak yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And um, but here, hope you know, God in Chicago. For for me, it it paints this. You don't sugarcoat the darkness and the hopelessness of the daily grind, of the loneliness of people. But you do still hold on to this possibility that there's. Reason to hope, or that it's worth hoping. I think what what the different or sort of the uh, maturation is that a word? Yeah. Sure. Yes. So so like you know in the old study I was thinking about like almost when we started the band. Do you remember like in the in the eighties I think it must have been the eighties when the Beastie Boys like they 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 called a press conference and they announced they were going positive basically. You know they renounced guns, said they weren't going to disrespect women, and it and. In in hindsight, for one, it's it feels you know uh, for the MTV era, it's, it seemed it felt like it, looking back, you're like, did they really do that? I think they did, um, but I almost felt like with the Hold Steady, I was like, this is, is going to be a positive band, like like all right, let's start writing. Well, you songs. used that word a ton yeah, early on, jam, positive jam, song. right there, yeah, yeah, right of there. So I mean, and that was me taking out of kind of positive hardcore and minor threat seven seconds of things, saying like, what if we applied this to a classic rock band? Because I want people to feel good, you know. I mean, there's 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 people should feel good when they're out. Of, like you know, we, we wanted to be that. What I think it's come to at 
you know, my age now and my work now is, at least in the last record, is like, well, okay, maybe it's not all unity and we're all in this together, but maybe it's like just finding some empathy for these people out there um, that we that we may or may not totally understand. Well, it's almost like in the Hold Steady, the salvation was in the community mm-hmm. for alienation, was in the community. And now there's still the same alienation, but maybe the big community isn't the answer because you can still end up in the tent and you could still like the, yeah. the, the, the answer is maybe just one, just if you can somehow hold someone's hand. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. One person. I mean, I think I was through like the touring of the past years, I, I was like, got really into like, just sort of super aware of parking lots and like how much time we spend in America in parking lots and these big, huge parking lots and like I watch people walk around and so everyone walks to their own car and drives off and I think like community is great if we can all get out to the show on Friday night but like we're also you know we're kind of driving around alone and going to the grocery store but what do you see as the self I mean I wrote this down to ask about alienation because it, it I, what I wrote is I see you teasing out what it means to exist in an almost permanent state of alienation yeah. of loneliness of isolation and is that what you see when you look out from the stage at, in the at the eyes of these people because it or i mean i see those people at their best because that's when we're all together right like the community kind of lets us down i mean you know on the way over you wrote i was looking at twitter i uh, on the train you wrote something about talking to an old friend um and i think that those are i mean those are things in this modern age, we almost have to force ourselves to do, right? We have to like, you have to remind yourself, like call your friend, like, because you don't, you may feel caught up with them already, or you may feel um, that there's no time, or you may just be, you know, dealing with your own family, job, whatever. Um, But we have, it's almost like we have to put post-it notes to say, call your friend. You know how many times like people say like, all the time, people come up and say, like, you know, I, I almost didn't go to the show. I was on the couch, and 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 I went and like, you know, and then they're they're talking to me. They're sweaty. They've had four beers, you know, and they're like elated. And you're like, well, thank God you did, you know, because it's it's easy. Like it's just like going to the gym. It's easy not to go, but then you you never went and was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. No, it's true. I mean, um, yeah, I mentioned last week on the, on the podcast that my friend Gary Harris died, and. It was heartbreaking for me, and one of the things, and I wrote about this on Twitter, is uh, what you're referring to, because I said that. You feel yeah. caught up yeah. because you're both yeah. on social media, but, um, but, but, but I hadn't spoken to Gary probably in a year. He'd spoken to my son, and they have had a great relationship, mm-hmm. but I hadn't spoken to him, and, um, and I don't know if I would have picked up the phone, we would have talked for two hours, and so I encouraged people, pick up, you know, it's so simple. We don't do it in this society very often yeah. anymore. Uh, it's a weird thing. Our, our friend Gary Goldman uh, says, you know, the, now the the phone, like, what are you doing calling me? The, the phone is just an, an app I don't use on my phone. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, right. But uh, it's worth it to connect and, and even to just with one, even with one person, because once people are gone. Yeah, once they're gone and one, and, and it's very, it, it gets us, it, 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 it is very restorative in some way. All right, I have one question for all of the I'm going to listen to a podcast to help me fall asleep people. Are you struggling to get some shut-eye? I hate when I'm struggling to get shut-eye. I hate it when I can't fall asleep. Listen, if you answered yes, you're in luck. 
because we have a great tip for how you can zonk out more easily. Mattress Firm, America's neighborhood mattress store, lets your budget stretch further when you're looking for ways to improve your sleep. They are more than mattress experts. They have the whole package that helps you transform your mattress into a bed, from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor. They have you covered, literally and figuratively. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening right now as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. Look, I value my sleep because uh, I have limited time. I'm a writer, primarily, a storyteller. And if I am sleepy, if I haven't gotten enough sleep, I find it really hard to stay focused and concentrate. But when I have a good night's sleep, it becomes much, much easier. Again, go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to learn how your sleeping could be monumentally improved. Well, I mean, not to stay on Gone Chicago, but I, I do think it is, um, you know, I think it's probably the best song anyone's going to write this year and next year too, in many ways, because it's, it's an, uh, a whole, no, it's a, a whole novel in a, in a song. So, and, and because it speaks to all this stuff, because the, the dead person hangs over the whole thing, it's a dead person who every, both people loved, but one of them wasn't really talking to very much. Right, right. And their connection is sort of the, a sacrament that perhaps brings them back closer to this other person who they can't touch. Yeah, and the other person, you wonder if he, you know, the the dead guy, Charlie, if he's if he's like, wow, this is, look what I set up in motion, you know, um, or you know, now my my sister's making out with my friend in the in Chicago, right? You know, <laughs> like, and yeah, and and so for you because you have you you still have faith, right? You're yeah, you're. I mean, some, talk about being a Christian. I'm, I'm Catholic, uh, uh, you know, and uh, that takes on different forms on different days. I, I struggle, obviously, with the uh, with the church and especially the men in our church. Um, and I go to church sometimes, and I sometimes don't. Uh, it's always going to be a struggle. I think I've, I've resigned myself to that. I certainly don't buy into the politics of it. Um, but you know, I, I grew up as a Catholic, and and the rituals um, and the. Uh, you know the the good parts of the message uh, resound to me. Forgiveness, redemption, those kind of things. I think if I was raised in a different religion, I would find those things in that one. Um, but this is the one that makes sense to me. But the possibility of redemption, of capital R redemption, is something that exists for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think it capital R is is. I'm not sure if I I differentiate that from small R. Yeah, fair. That's you know? totally fair. Uh, but the capital R redemption is just unavailable to atheists like me. Oh, right, right. Well, yeah. Um, Little moments of redemption are possible. Yeah, I think that th- I, I guess in my in my my Catholicism that they're they're very similar. That those little moments are 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 the big moments too, you know. I mean, I, I I've said this. That's such a Craig Finn line. The little moments are the big moments too. That <laughs> yeah. could be right in one of your. You songs. know, I mean, I, I'm I'm just like I have this thing that I, happens in New York, and, and you know, as a Midwesterner, I never saw this until I moved here. Um, but but th- there's this moment when the, the woman is on the train with a stroller, and a guy picks it up without without saying anything and carries it up the stairs. And I I mean, the first time I saw that, I was like, wow. And now I watch them all the time, and I'm like, um, oftentimes with no word exchanged, 
you know and i'm like well, there there's a beauty in there there's a there's a cooperation and there's a empathy and a sympathy and uh and those are the kind of things that that i try to look at and try to pay attention to to find the the small hope you know the, the things in in especially well that's in, where you see god in a way yeah, exactly. you're saying for you that's where you see god i mean that's a Buddha, yeah. buddhistish yeah i mean that's a, and i i think it is a buddhist uh, approach to my catholicism because i you know i i don't you know i i i can go to church and pe- i could come home and angie could say well what was the you know what was the homily about uh what was the sermon about and i'd be like i don't know i i wasn't listening but i felt really good when i was there and i'm glad i went because I was thinking about something else in the quiet. Yeah, I went to, a, for my friend Gary's funeral, I went to a black Baptist church, mm-hmm. and I hadn't been to one in a long time. And I came home, and I said to Amy, maybe we should go. <laughs> <You> know, just, <laughs> because they're, they're baked into that is so much, there's an acknowledgement of how hard the world is, but this deep, deep fountain of hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Which is in your music. I mean, which is in your music. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and and, and it, I think it's. Imp- I I want it to be. I want it to be like that. Is uh, if I if I'm if it's not in there nowhere, then I think I'm failing sort of my artistic is, vision. Is that the thing that Bruce gave you? Do you think as a, you know, when I think about the your influence, when I think about you know, yeah. Bruce Westerberg. Dylan and you know Bruce. Westerberg. I didn't get it from Westerberg. You know, the hope sure. you didn't get from Westerberg. But if I think about Lou Reed, Dylan, Bruce, and Westerberg as like four of the big, yeah. when you were a kid, four of the big songwriters yeah. for you, the only one who I mean Dylan. Um, at times there was um, hope, but it's a very particular kind of hope, and basically only for him. Right. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like no, you're right. But Bruce was the the Bruce. I think had that messianic idea he lifts you up i mean both in it live and with his music and uh that is yeah absolutely that was something i found very attractive i mean i think that like i was very as a teenager into this like positive hardcore minor threat in seven seconds and there were a lot of songs you know we're together you know, we're unified and, and like that's great and and but but you know Bruce can say that same thing in a way more complex and adult way that's less sloganeering that um, kind of uh, allows for the idea that people are complex and human. And uh, that's exciting. Yeah, you know, a lot of people would slam Bruce back then for like this sort of unrealistic hope. And, and, you know, in in Tom Joad, he kind of, he almost repudiates it, which I found heartbreaking. Right, great. When he's into the highway is alive tonight, but no one's kidding anybody about where it goes, you know, where it goes. Do you remember hearing that? Did it, did it, I don't know that I remember hearing that or having that reaction to it, but I do. I I mean, Springsteen's music is, is, I mean, the first thing I heard probably was Born to Run on classic rock radio. And it just felt like, you know, possibility is, is even at a young, as a young man, it was like, there's so much, this, this road goes everywhere. Well, I was thinking about it because your, your writing is so cinematic too. And so exact. And I, Somehow, I, I, what I wrote down today when I was thinking about this was like, um, I realized recently that meeting across the river in Atlantic City, and then weirdly, Welcome to the Boomtown by David Bearwald, but that um, those songs influenced my screenwriting. Meeting across mm-hmm. the river, I think, influenced the generation of writers like us right. in an almost incalculable way. I mean, how many lines are in that song, really? I mean, not that much. It's kind of like, 
what I was hoping to do with God in Chicago. Yeah, like, that's what like, I was asking. Like, yeah, like there's this efficiency, and you, you know, I mean, like I look back and I, I don't, you know, I don't, don't exactly know my headspace, but it's like, all right, well, how am I going to explain this guy who they go meet in Chicago, and then I came on Wayne from Winnetka, Winnetka yeah, and I'm like, everyone at least in the Midwest knows what that guy is, knows that guy, knows knows the deal. Like, like we can we can. But then what a wonderful twist in that song that the dude shows up and he doesn't try to rip them off. <laughs> yeah, no. And it doesn't all, exp- you know, it doesn't all go go wrong. Whereas Meeting Cross the River is a tragedy. Sure, yeah. And well, God- <laughs> those guys, those guys are, it, it, they're doomed from the start. You know it, you know? Um, whereas God, and, it's, and, and, and whereas uh, there's some, like I said, the, this is the beautiful thing is these characters may ultimately be doomed as much as uh, Eddie, but and the other guy, but, um, but there's this like possibility. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, I, I think the thing about God in Chicago that I ended up being really proud of is these were not drug dealers doing a drug deal. You know, yes. I mean, they were doing it purely to convert this contraband into cash, and uh, and there was, you know, I mean, they it was not they weren't going to roll it over into a bigger drug deal, or they weren't going to, you know, it, these these they had to deal with this, and they went and did it. Yeah, and uh, at this point, you you should go listen to Gone Chicago <laughs> so that you understand. In fact, it would have been good if you would have listened to it before we had this conversation. I may put that line in before the podcast starts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can leave all this too, sure. so people will see the whole process. Um, so I want to just switch gears and, and talk a little bit about your path here, mm-hmm. where we find you fixed on the graph at the moment. So how, how did you, you know, you were in this band that was super important band and made the decision to really, and, and it was interesting because in this band, you had to share the creative process. I think right, that, right. that led to these incredible songs that you guys wrote together. Sure. And I always thought it was weird, I, you know, that, um, I mean, you and Tad wrote a very specific kind of song together. Mm-hmm. One, I always wanted to know, did it bug you when you would get 95% of the credit for the songs in the world and they would only call you the songwriter? Yeah, well, I, I mean, it bugged me also. I was trying, I would just try to be very sympathetic because not only were Tad and I writing these songs together, but the other guys were part of the band that were bringing these people to the world, these songs to the world. So I think, you know, it, it. I had to be. You know, I wanted to be, um, and did my best to to remind people that that, that there's collaboration with me and Tad, uh, and Franz. Often, uh, oftentimes, I mean, the classical steady song. If you wanted to make the uh, kind of archetype, is that Tad and Tad myself get it going and write write it, and then Franz comes in and writes the bridge. In a lot of cases, that was the case. You know? Right. And we have those very dramatic scene change bridges. Uh, that often are front. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I uh, you know, no one, no one's um, against being praised, but I did try to uh, remind people that I do, and I still do, um, try to remind people that that uh, that these were do collaborations. You, do you get the thing that happens when the two of you come together to write these songs as a different kind of power? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, I mean, there are a couple of things. One is that, um, there's a voice or something, you know, I mean, Tan is like a big guitar player, 
so the the songs start big and 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 sort of challenges me in one way to get big you know what i mean yeah. like there's no songs about going to the grocery store and hold steady because it's the, the riff's too big for that you know you can't do this vulnerable little portrait you have to do you have to kind of go big and people have to start um you know getting arrested or whatnot and um so there's there's that. I mean, the other thing is is that it's uncanny that Tad and I have played so long together because uh, he was in Lifter Puller too. I remember one time in in Lifter Puller towards the end, we went out and there was a karaoke thing, and I was kind of and I did a song sort of in my style. I forget what song it was. I think it might have been Hungry Like the Wolf, and he was doing it with me, and he could kind of do he kind of know where I was going to go with it. He knew how you were yeah. going to sing that yeah. song. And so like when we do like backup vocals, we do, you know, cause we recorded a couple songs that were released in the fall. Um, but you and, kick ass. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Great. And, and you know, doing when he's doing backups, like it's like uncanny that he, the phrasing, he's just very familiar with it. Um, how I'm going to sing things. But so how did you, you know, to me, this album, this Craig Finn album is, the, for me, just as a listener and as a huge fan who knows all the words to all the songs, uh, this is the first one that feels like, okay, he did the thing. He truly did the thing he was trying to do. Yeah. Now this is as much an artist as like the whole stuff. It's, it's, it's really its own thing now. Yeah. Well, you have to work toward, you know, some of that, some of that is in process, trying of to course. figure it out. You of know? course. Um, but There's I mean, nothing tentative about it. Right. Like the first album you made with those Nashville musicians yeah. just kind of fucking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that then was, the second album you made, which was an intentional thing, but it was very quick after the 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 other one. I it seemed as a fan, was it not? Maybe I don't know, twelve to fourteen. Yeah, maybe. Well, two years, you know. And then this one somehow it all. I mean, some of the so because the, the whole study still exists, you know. Like we're playing London next in a few weeks. Um, it's not as busy as it once was, but. You know, some of it is created to some of the solo stuff. In 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 some ways, is just to be able to work as much as I want to work creatively. But when you say the hold steady still exists, yeah, are are you going to make a hold steady album? Um, uh, the, we don't have any songs, so, but I mean, uh, uh, Tad and I have been uh, working on things. Um, there's, I think, there's probably more music coming. Um, I don't know that. I think I think one of the cool things about the whole study right now is that we've been a band 15 years. We just had our 15th anniversary. So we've been able to question some of the sort of like you have to do it this way. The orthodox. Yeah, the orthodoxness. Like do we, you know, when are you going to go on tour? Well, do we have to go on tour because you know, at this point our touring is like a lot of people show up in New York and LA, you know, and Chicago and Minneapolis and Philly and you know, less people show up in some of these other places. So you know, a lot of people come to Hamilton in New York, you know, like, do we have to? Is that ha- being part of a rock band? Right. How many sold out to- dates did you just do in New York? Four. You right. Know? And, so if and you could, could do have, 10 of those. And we could do more. And we could go to, and we did Chicago last year. And we, you know, and, you know, there, there's someone that's like, well, a rock band is supposed to go on tour and play every market, even the ones that don't really buy that many tickets. And you, you know, you play Chicago so you can subsidize these other places and it's like well wait a minute why why that's that's a great thing you know if you're 22 but at 46 and people have families we kind of rethink so i don't know i mean we put out these two songs before the shows in brooklyn and i loved that i and a like because it wasn't we weren't waiting on a release date we weren't like we literally recorded them and said hey 
No, it was a great shock. I mean, um, uh, PJ Vote t- tweeted something about it. Who's you know the, your big like your biggest mm-hmm. fan from the Reply All okay, podcast, yeah. which is right, like right, the most yeah. popular podcast yeah, yeah. there is. He's the most obsessed fan, and so he tweeted. I was like, "What the fuck? There are these songs out." First of all, I'm friends with Craig and Tad, and somehow I don't know the songs. I was a little annoyed, and then we were a little bit secretive. About I was like, "Holy it. shit!" Yeah, it was great though. It was a great thing to get from your favorite band, right? Yeah. This great surprise, and then you guys played the shows. So where are you playing in London? Uh, we're doing two shows at the Electric Ballroom. Right, and so that's super. So for you, the Hold Steady is not exist. There's not. It hasn't dissolved, even though I. Because to to me, it seems just from the outside, you're watching like. Yeah, you guys will come together to play these gigs, but it's not really like. And that was the great thing about getting the songs was the sense maybe it is an ongoing entity. But yeah. How do you think of it yourself? I think of it as an ongoing entity. I just think that, uh, you know, a rock band is an imperfect group. You know, I always think about like, you know, a, a, a fraternity. The seniors can tell the freshmen to clean up. You know, um, you know, obviously a business is run, but a rock band is a very complex. Uh, group of you know there, there's a leader but is there a leader no everyone's t- everyone's the same you know and so it's it's a challenge uh, and you know especially if there's like not not much money coming in uh, it's a challenge to kind of make things um, you know to, 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 to find the right things when you're in the for- in your 40s because there, there's things that might um, uh, power you in your when you're 23 about a rock band that aren't as interesting at 46 right rooming with people in a weird place in a hotel in delaware because you're playing to 75 people the next night yeah it could have seemed super exciting and now it's like it was awesome at one point but you're like well you know is um is my partner at home gonna be psyched is that a good use of my time is that like what the person I am. Is that like, you know, and, uh, but I guess the weird thing is like the music, like I'm not alone in this and PJ's not alone in this. Like the music means so much to these people. So the hold steady is, we use, I used the word sacrament before, but the, the hold steady is a sacramental thing for, mm-hmm. um, and I know it's odd, right? Cause it's not huge by Bon Jovi standards, but it's, it's a huge amount of people. It's it's uh, a, a real group of people for whom your music gives sure. them release and salvation. And that's a very beautiful. That's the part that I'm in touch with, and that and that's the reason I I want there always to be these events. You know these these things, and um, it's very uh, it's awesome to, for me to be a part of. Obviously, I mean the adoration is you know everyone loves that, but it is also it feels like. Being it feels like something's happening out there, you know, when we play, um, you know. But but like that, you know. Getting back to my point, there's that there's sort of this thing of like, you know, you say like, well, why don't you come to my my you know smaller size city? It's like okay, we could, but it's a Monday night, and I know you've got three kids now, <laughs> and and you know, and so maybe it's better if you meet us in Chicago on a weekend. And uh, I think that's being very realistic. Because you find that you go to those smaller cities, and as much as people intend to be there, maybe they won't be. Yeah, or maybe it's like you know, okay, well, you know, maybe you wouldn't even enjoy it as much if you were looking at your watch the whole time. But like, if I tell you in six months we're going to do three shows in Chicago, then you start to make plans. We're going to have a good time, right? And you feel that's keeping your your sort of compact with the audience. I think it's more realistic, yeah. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, oddly. Were you scared at all about really committing to this solo career? 
Um, about what it would be like to look out from the stage at an audience that was going to have to come aboard this journey. I don't know. Scared. I was no. I was more excited. The man was excited to do different things, and um, I was excited to play with different people. I mean, there's there's things about. I mean, there's a challenge. Um, the first solo record I made was kind of an experiment, and I thought it made me just better as a as a maybe as a person, but as a musician of just like going in with people you don't know who play really well, and saying like. I know I've got like kind of a voice that maybe doesn't sound beautiful or whatever isn't anyone's idea of a normal of a great singing voice, but I'm gonna try to keep up with these guys and I'm gonna um, yeah and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep up and I'm gonna try to impress them and through that thing you get better and uh, the one thing about the solo thing is uh, the musicians change you know and that is a tough thing um, because there's a lot more scheduling there's people you know hiring and you know finding who can do this tour finding what's a good fit um, so there's a, like an administrative thing that that becomes more so if you know because I don't I don't tour enough that I keep the same band the whole time um, but but I think that playing with different people is very important and uh, allows you to just get better at what you but do. But is it emotionally different? A great thing happens on stage, you nail something, or you connect and you turn to, you know, you turn and it's not Tad or it's not Franz I've, or... I've, I've, you know, I've, I've gotten lucky and gotten great people in the, in the solo band, uh, which I call the Uptown Controllers, but there's a camaraderie that exists with the whole steady that's 15 years old and that's not easily replaced and 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 won't be you know i mean there's just a, a language or inside jokes or all that there is these things you know when you think about like it's it's like um if you walk off stage i don't know just that you know like playing glastonbury and it going really well yeah and being sure like looking at each other on the, on the side of the stage being like we just did that wow yes yeah. and that's an amazing thing and then we feel it as an audience and you feel it mm -hmm. yeah. as a performer couple other things before uh, I let you go. Um, what were you reading and listening to as you wrote this album? What are you reading, reading these days? You know, a uh, uh, book recommendation. I, I read this book um, called Marlena by Julie Bunton. I don't know. Last year it was a novel uh, that came out last year that I thought was amazing. Like uh, uh, it was my, my girlfriend ran it first and she said, you need to read this book. And I said, okay, I'm going to read it when I'm done with this book. And she said, no, actually you need to read it now. Really? And she wanted you to put down it. what you were reading. I loved it. And, and, and it was, you know, um, I've recommended some people, people like it. Um, I, I read, you know, I'm, it's hard for me to remember cause it was actually recorded by the time it was, it was recorded. It was a little while ago now. Um, but I'm always kind of reading modern fiction or whatever. And what are you listening to? Um, right now, yeah. Uh, what do you dig? Who are the songwriters that you're like? Phoebe Bridgers' album from last year is, I think, like my favorite thing. Do you know that? No, nope, uh, I don't know it. Somehow uh, I missed it. Phoebe uh, Bridgers. Yeah, Phoebe B R I D G E R S. That that's an amazing record. Um, I like uh, there's this gang of youths. Someone uh, I thought that was really cool. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I always, I'm always gonna forget what what all the stuff I love. But but, but who are the songwriters when they put out an album? Like I know Isbell's one, but Isbel, who are the songwriters when they put out truckers. an album where you're like, I got to hear this? Uh, truckers, I would say um, uh, James McMurtry. He doesn't put out a lot, but like that's me too, man. man. That like, guy's still such a good songwriter. Yeah, yeah. I, I unfortunately missed his set last night, but uh, um, what else? Um, uh, John Darnielle, Mountain Goats. Um, uh, John Sampson, who. Uh, from the Weaker Thens, uh, who I just did a tour with in October, is, is a spectacular songwriter, one of my all-time favorites. Um, 
I'm sure I'm missing a bunch. Um, but those are, those are. And, uh, and what are your ambitions now? What is it that you want out of all this? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think I just want to, I've always been bad about having like a five-year plan or something, you know, because I believe if I have faith in one thing, if I have faith in beyond uh, redemption with a small or big R, it's that work will, that if you work, things will happen, you know? So I want to keep telling stories. I want to keep telling stories about these people I tell stories about. I want I very much hope and want people to keep listening to them and connecting them. I would like to um, go, I would like to do things, uh, as I've said, beyond songs, but um, that's been a struggle for me, but that's my challenge. Um, and I just want to keep working and keeping having this dialogue with, with the audience. Has the way this album's been received felt good and right to you? Did you hope for more? Did you... It felt really good. I mean, the the, the year end stuff, especially like kind of like uh, American songwriter called yes. God in Chicago, number one song of the year. Uh, there are some other really nice notices, and it felt good. It it's funny. I mean, these things. I know you. I mean, you're very in touch with this. I'm sure these things start a lot. Like I said, like the day Prince died. That sounds, feels like a while ago now, right? Um, but but if you look back, there's been a little bit every day. Um, Everything from playing it for the label to making the video to, um, you know, playing it live, etc. So uh, all these things together. I, I've never watched the God in Chicago video. Oh, really? And I never will. Oh. I don't want to watch it. Okay, I just want to, I just want, want that to... song. <laughs> I know what those, I know what every, I just want the song to exist. Well, I, I, I wouldn't watch a meeting across the river video. I understand why you, you say that. I will say that the, the guy who did the video did an amazing job. And uh, when I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, good job. You did it. There's, um, there's a lot more I want to ask you about, about like shame and guilt. But I'm going to um, we'll say it'll be gone forever. So, uh, Craig, man, thanks for thanks for doing this. I really um, wanted you on the podcast because I do feel like you delivered something that the people who listen to this show would really care about. These songs are about people who are yearning for transcendence is like too big a word it makes it feel like it, i mean they are but for some kind of connection and to be some better version of themselves yeah. and for me that idea that we can be the best version of ourselves if we try really hard and we think about it is you're the only guy consistently writing about that and i i so appreciate i mean jason writes about it too but yeah. right you it seems like you're talking to yourself and trying to convince yourself of it. <laughs> I may well be. I may well be. Well, keep doing it. Craig Finn, you can find Craig on Twitter at... Uh, Steady Craig. Steady Craig. And you can find me at Brian Koppelman. You can write me at the moment, bk at gmail.com. Tell me I talk too much, but I'm sitting here with like my favorite songwriter, so you know I'm going to talk. All right, thanks, everybody. See you next time.